Welcome to What's the Deal, JP Morgan's investment banking series on the Making Sense podcast channel. I'm David Rawlings, your host and the country head for JP Morgan in Canada. I'm thrilled to be joined by Mike Gato, global head of healthcare investment banking at JP Morgan. Mike, thanks so much for being with us today. David, great to be with you. Thank you. Listen, it's been an exciting week for you coming off this huge healthcare conference. So we'll get into that in a few minutes. But listen, before we do that, why don't you just share with the group a little bit about your background and how you spend your time? Sure. So as you said, Global Head of Healthcare Investment Banking, been with the firm 28 years, started with Hamburton Quist, which is a small San Francisco-based boutique and actually the originator of our healthcare conference in 1983. My Area of expertise has always been pharma and biotech, but I dabble a little bit across the healthcare continuum at this point. Great. And I know it was recent that we have moved to being truly global in the way we cover our clients. Just talk about the early days of that and how that's maybe changed your role. Sure. Well, interestingly enough, healthcare exists in such a global ecosystem that we've been relatively global for as long as I can remember. The biotech industry really got its start in the U.S., but pharma has always been global. Medtech has been a global industry, and so has life science tools, diagnostics, and pharmaceutical services. So really, I always say we've been one of the most interconnected coverage groups, industries that we have at J.P. Morgan. So this has been a natural evolution as we continue to just interconnect all our regions It's been something that we've always relied on one another because there have always been large and small companies throughout the global ecosystem of healthcare. And really the only outlier of that is healthcare services, which is really a more regional business based on regulations in different countries and regions. And healthcare services is what I would expect. It's hospitals and extended care facilities and things like that. And insurers. Yeah, that's exactly right. Great. Listen, as I alluded to up front, You're coming off this 42nd annual healthcare conference. As you mentioned, this goes back to the days of H&Q and that acquisition, which was probably more than 20 years ago now. Four days, 8,000 attendees, big companies, small companies, lots of investors. So we will spend a little bit talking about some of the highlights coming out of that conference. But let's just start with the macroeconomic environment. We have seen a pickup in M&A over the course of the last couple of months within your sector. But as you think about 2024, and maybe the greater possibility of a soft landing, how does that play into the way you're thinking about the healthcare sector? So yes, M&A has been quite interesting the last couple of months. I think in a lot of our spaces, we've had a good amount of stock price pressure the last couple of years coming out of the pandemic. Now we had huge run-ups in many of our sectors during the pandemic. So it has been a little bit challenging, but I think we're in a Goldilocks scenario right now where Valuations are reasonable, but from an acquirer perspective, look quite interesting. I think 52-week highs that were quite elevated have rolled off, and that makes it a very good backdrop for M&A. And we're seeing that. We're seeing it most right now in pharma biotech. The pharmas are all very open for business and in a mode to transact, some out of absolute need as they have some growth challenges and some out of incredible strength. So it's a really good time in biopharma. We did start out the conference this year in medical devices with an M&A deal. Medtech has been under pressure, outperformed healthcare at least in 2023, but we haven't seen the recovery in that space be long-lasting enough to actually yield M&A. So 
it was nice to start to see some green shoots on the M&A side. And I think in 2024, I expect both of those verticals to be active in M&A, continue in pharma biotech and pick back up in medtech. Let's just pause on that for a second. You talked about share price performance and sort of the Goldilocks, if you will, in terms of where stocks are trading. How important is the financing market? It feels like financing markets are improving. How important is that in the way your companies are thinking about M&A? Yeah, absolutely. So in pharma, at least, the pharmas are relatively immune to financing market concerns as they have really strong and very consistent ratings. So it doesn't really change the availability or cost of capital for them too much. Where I was going to pivot was healthcare services is very rate sensitive because we've got a lot of sponsor activity in services and we've got a lot of mid-size, not all AAA and AA companies who are the acquirers in services. So it is very sensitive to the rate environment. And we started to see in the fourth quarter, the sponsors start to position themselves for 24 as they continue to update their models and run their cost of capital analyses. So we're hopeful that we're going to start to see some take private activity start to pick back up. Hopeful to see that the farmers will actually also be in the mode to want to sell. There was a pause on a lot of the sponsors selling activity and buying activity because of the rate environment. So that's exciting for us. And not that medtech isn't. Medtech can be sensitive to rates as well. In tools, diagnostics, and pharma services, same kind of thing. The sponsors do play a large role in that space, as do strategics. Many of the strategics are well-positioned, like some of the large pharmas, but there's also a big buyer community that is more rate-sensitive. So I think that's exciting for a lot of the verticals in healthcare to see that we may have some improvement on the rate picture going forward this year. Terrific. Listen, you've already started to talk about some of the themes around the different subsectors, but what I find so interesting about your sector is, to your point, it has such a broad perspective on the types of clients to which you deal with. So you've got the pharma sector, you've got the med tech sector, life sciences, et cetera. Can you maybe talk about coming out of the conference? Were there any themes that were specific to those industries or maybe cross-industry? Sure. Maybe I'll try to reverse it. So in life science tools, diagnostics, and pharma services, as you can even here, as I talk about it, that's our most diverse vertical. On the pharma services side, we think about clinical trial organizations, contract manufacturing companies, and really when we call it life science tools and pharma services, those two things are sort of related to the business of drug discovery and drug development. So they are very tied to that pharma biotech industry and the performance of pharma and biotech and the capital raising environment for biotech companies, because a lot of that is the success that they have in developing drugs and the amount of dollars they put into that ecosystem of drug discovery, drug development, R&D, clinical trials. So those two are quite interrelated. So when you have a down cycle in the biotech side, especially when we had stock prices, as I said, depressed, that usually leads to less fundraising, less cash, less capital, and then sort of less dollars flowing downstream into those tools companies and those services companies. Can you talk a little bit about the innovation we're seeing in the industry? We're in an incredible innovation cycle, just the way scientific advances are moving. So we've had some, most recently, the GLP ones, the obesity and diabetes drugs that are the tip of everyone's tongue, it seems, these days. Those drugs are predicted to be so large and are already on such a 
strong trajectory, that manufacturing is something that we talk a lot about. We talked a lot about manufacturing during the global pandemic, obviously, as we thought about how manufacturing and supply chains were organized and how global they had become. But right now, we're just talking about, do we have enough capacity in the global supply chain to be able to move and produce and get enough of these obesity and diabetes drugs to patients to take care of demand? So those two things really have shown a really important light on what we call the CDMO space, the contract manufacturing space. So we expect that that will continue to be really interesting. Diagnostics has been important. We all became experts in diagnostics in some way, just as we became experts in virology a couple of years ago. But the same thing happens in an innovation cycle as scientific advances happen. They've really impacted the diagnostics space too. So we're hopeful and we expect that we're going to see continued consolidation in diagnostics as some of the large companies continue to build out their offerings. And there are many small technology companies in that tools area and in that diagnostics area that are taking advantage of new innovations and developing products. So we need to see a little bit further maturation of not only products, but really product sales cycles so that those companies move into a space where they can either become consolidators themselves should things go really well, or that they become large enough targets for the big companies. And is it still too early to predict how that's going to end up? Or does it seem most likely that they will be consolidated up by the existing players? It'll depend on a couple of factors. Some of it will be regulatory. Some of it is sort of getting those diagnostic tests at least approved and getting the use uptake. It also requires reimbursement. So those are important things to getting those tests to scale. Outside of the diagnostics, you have a little less regulation. You have just a little more R&D funding, R&D spending, manufacturing spending. So we'll need some success through the regulators and through reimbursement. But we expect it should go quite well. What you saw in the pandemic was as everybody became a healthcare expert. And as I said, when everybody started to understand what is a nasal swab, what are the elements of different kinds of diagnostic success, we had tons of investment going to that space and lots of innovation was happening. So it's just like everything else. And we're still in that maturation mode across a lot of that space. Let's keep going through the other verticals. Sure. So in terms of med tech, as I said, med tech was really hurt by the pandemic in a lot of ways. And in part, was supply chain in part was people just weren't going in for procedures, for surgeries where you'd have implants of medical devices. So that caused a slowing and that slowing has continued to yield underperformance the last couple of years. In a very tough year in 2023 for healthcare, broadly MedTech was our shining star of 10%. And it took a furious Halloween to year-end rally in some of the other sectors for us to get to flat in healthcare performance last year. So it was nice to see MedTech recovery. Great to see, as I said, that MedTech deal kick off our year. The industry is actually quite healthy at this point. There's still a little bit of recovery in some of the larger cap names, but we're hopeful that we're going to see some really good consolidation come back. I think in a falling knife sort of price performance environment, it's really hard for sellers to be serious and targets to be serious about wanting to sell. Stability, as I talked about in biopharma and stability into a little bit of uptick in 23 in medtech. We think 
should be interesting because you've got really strong, really good companies on the potential target side and on the large cap side. So I think it's just a matter of getting more into that Goldilocks zone I talked about, and it does feel like we're there now. Do you want to just spend a minute on healthcare services? So services is really just the continuing to perfect delivery of care and the delivery of care where patients want it, the way patients want it. Also, some tech enablement and some increased tech involvement and services. So we feel like that continues apace. The delivery of care continuum, we think, gets stronger and stronger as it becomes more patient-focused. So that feels really good. You know, we're going to see a lot more opportunity for deal-making, for consolidation, for some exciting M&A as this rate environment does improve. So we're very excited about this year to bring the sponsor community really back into what is normally a very busy sector for them. Lastly, form of biotech, you know, innovation is just awesome. The diabetes and obesity drugs are going to make a really big difference for a lot of people. Other space we see, CNS, the central nervous system, we're really hopeful that we're going to start to see some really important things happen. We've got finally some Alzheimer's drugs. We're hoping that we'll have continued success in that path. So the brain has been an area that's been really hard to crack. We've made incredible strides in places like cancer over a number of years. We're starting to get there with the brain, with CNS. That's really nice to see. We've got a lot of really interesting stuff going on in autoimmune disease where the way we started to understand cancer, we're starting to understand the brain. We've really started to understand the immune system. And that sort of cancer immunology and the link to immunology broadly has really yielded a robust innovation cycle, both in pharma and in biotech. Once we started to unlock sort of the immune system through cancer, which is a place that a lot of smaller biotech companies focus, then you started to see people go back into more broadly immunology, which was a space that a lot of times over the years, biotechs would say, immunology and autoimmune disease are a little too expensive for me for drug development because these are large chronic diseases that take really long trials. But because of that scientific innovation and better understanding, we're starting to see the biotech industry really make amazing inroads into autoimmune and immunology. So really exciting. And as I said, we expect to see M&A consolidation continue. We feel like the IPO environment that was a little bit less robust last year. You're being kind to say it was a little bit less robust. (laughs) Well, the comp is so crazy because as I said, during the pandemic, Every single person became a biotech investor. Sure. You know, so it was it was a golden era, but you know, sad, of course, but golden era just for funding innovation, which was great. So I think we'll see a little bit more normalizing of that to what is a pre-pandemic level this year, which will be exciting. No, that's great. It's it's actually really helpful to hear you walk through the drivers of each one of the subsectors. But it's also clear that it feels like you're pretty positive across really most of the sector. Yeah, it's a really great time. I think we've got incredible scientific innovation. We've got really neat tech innovation. We didn't even really touch on AI and machine learning. I think those technologies and those capabilities are making inroads across the continuum for us. And biopharma will be in the discovery side. It'll be in the managing and dredging through unbelievable dreams of data. Now, We talk to Jamie all the time about AI and everything we're doing in AI and machine learning. 
that's with pure data. We in biopharma have a pure data piece, but we also have a biology piece. So training these models to be as impactful as we hope they will one day be is just going to take more time, a lot more investment. But we're starting to see exciting things in that space. I think on the services side of things, we've got tech enablement and really the influence of tech really being felt. And again, it goes toward not only outcomes, we're all about outcomes now in treatment. And that's a big thing that healthcare services talks about in paper for performance. So understanding outcomes data that are easy to see based on, you know, is this drug given? Is this surgery performed? You know, what are the outcomes? So following things like that are great. But also, as I talked about, just making things more patient friendly. And we all see in all of our lives how much more convenient we can have services be and we can just take advantage of things and take care of things more easily with a tech enablement. 100%. We feel that in Canada, in our single-payer system. We're even seeing some innovation up here, so it's fabulous. Hey, listen, you mentioned our chairman and CEO, Jamie Dimon. He obviously was one of the keynotes at the healthcare conference. I think Joyce Chang was also with you and obviously a number of external speakers. Anything you want to highlight around Jamie's presentation or some of the other speakers? Sure. So I was lucky enough to get to interview Jamie, which is always great. You know, Jamie's fantastic. Jamie is somebody who thinks really deeply about healthcare. We've always spent a lot of time and he spent a lot of personal time and invested in healthcare through most recently Morgan Health. So trying to come up with ways that large self-insured healthcare provider companies like us think about different ways to give the best outcomes to patients, encourage patients to do best for themselves in terms of healthcare. And he's okay investing dollars and then trying to learn things through our population and then sort of exporting those out through either companies that we're partnering with or just through sharing that innovation and intel with other corporations. So always appreciate that. Jamie's great in terms of also helping think about the economic environment. We had a great conversation on what he's seeing for 2024 that he may be a bit more cautious as he thinks about where interest rates might go and where the economy might go. But that's really just because he thinks about how many things are so different right now in our world, whether it be geopolitical or whether it be some of the stimulus that's going to be running off throughout the global economy. So it was a really great session. Fabulous. Yeah, no, to your point, I think it is a complicated environment. Inflation remains a little sticky. And I think there's hope that we have material interest rate cuts going through 2024, but we'll have to see. And I think when you run big companies like Jamie does and many of our listeners, you have to also be defensive on the tails because the tail risk in this environment seems to be higher. So it's getting it right between that balance of playing offense and playing defense, which is always a tricky balance. It's absolutely right. Mike, it's always good to spend time with you. I guess what I would just ask you to finish with is, you know, with everything going on, with some of the macro uncertainty we talked about, I mean, what advice are you giving to the boards and to the management teams that you spend the most time with? Sure. So it's always hard to predict around elections what the market's going to do. It does feel like there's always increased volatility around presidential elections in the U.S. This one feels no different. And especially for healthcare, unlike some other industries of ours, healthcare is always on the tip of tongue of candidates from both parties. So always lots of ideas, lots of suggestions, ways we can do better which we thought we had done better by doing such great things during the pandemic. But that's, you know, it's what have you done for us lately, I think, always. So we just think about everybody as we're seeing this recovery, think hard about the first half in the middle of the year, because as you said, with the tails and all the risks out there, 
it does feel like at least we're going to have some stability election-wise. Then it'll start to ramp up, obviously, as we go through the year. And that just means we could all wake up and have a candidate take a view on price controls, whatever it is that might impact healthcare trading in the markets. So we tell everybody, as we always do, you know, no better time than the present be thinking about things. Don't ignore the second half, but understand that it may be a little bit more volatile. It might be a little trickier to get stuff done in the market or get stuff done strategically. But in general, as we've talked about, David, there's a lot of optimism. We had a record number of investor meeting requests at our conference, which was outstanding to see, which makes you feel like investors are excited to position themselves and to start to take long bets in 2024. And we've got, as I said, a great global ecosystem that is thinking hard about strategic stuff and growing internally and externally. So feels like a really nice setup. That's terrific. Listen, Mike, it's always great to spend time with you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. So big thanks to you. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another What's the Deal episode. Thanks, David. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to What's the Deal. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to J.P. Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. To stay ahead of the curve, sign up for J.P. Morgan's In Context newsletter, packed full of market views and expert insights delivered straight to you. To subscribe, just visit jpmorgan.com forward slash in hyphen context. This material was prepared by the Investment Banking Group of J.P. Morgan Securities, LLC, and not the firm's research department. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase, sale, or tender of any financial instrument.